Welcome to Tell Me Something I Don't Know. I'm Stephen Dubner. With me in the studio today, Mr. AJ Jacobs. Hello, AJ. Hello, Stephen. As you know, AJ, here's the way this thing works. We will have a guest tell us a fact, a story, an idea, a theory. We'll hear them out. We'll ask whatever questions we'd like to ask of them. And then we will judge them on the three following simple criteria. Number one, did they tell us something we truly did not know? Number two, was it worth knowing? And number three, was it demonstrably true? AJ, we lean on you for the fact-checking and the demonstrably trueness. Let's try you out. Is trueness a word? Oh, that's interesting. Let me look it up. This truthiness. There's truthiness. There's also something called truth, which I think is a pretty useful (laughs) word, but is trueness a word? Let's take it. Uh, Conformity to reality or actually, yeah, trueness is a word. I'm now seeing that, yeah, trueness is a valid Scrabble word. Um, Hang on. I want to do... By the way, I don't know. You are a Scrabble player, right? Not really. Oh. I mean... You're more of a backgammon guy. Yeah. Well, I memorized when I was in high school all the two-letter words, and that I really— I bet you is, do. You seem like that kind of guy. I do. Is that where AJ comes from? <laughs> that is not a valid Scrabble word, mm. sadly. J-O is a Scottish girlfriend. Nice. There's uh, X-I, the Vietnam monetary unit, of course. There is uh, There's some scandal uh, controversy over QA. I like to use it because it's a Babylonian liquid measurement. Ah. But uh, it's not officially in the Scrabble Dictionary. Let's get to it then. Today, we're speaking with Jonathan Winfield. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you very much. Tell us who you are, what you do. I'm a senior researcher at the Bristol Bioenergy Center in the UK. Very good. What do bio and energy have to do with each other? Um, We look at sustainable energy, but using some biological matter, biological organisms. Does biological matter mean poop? It can do, yes. Yeah. I mean, poop or, or, or any, anything that contains organic matter. Uh-huh. So, Dr. Jonathan Winfield, tell us something we don't know, please. Okay, well, our research center uses wastewaters such as urine to power real-world devices. Our system uses bacteria to clean the wastewater while at the same time generating electricity. It can even remove pathogens like salmonella. Oh, my goodness. That sounds... Um... Almost too good to be true. First of all, before we get into this, I have to say that I think the single most popular topics that people have brought to this show over the past year or so are urine and feces. Right. Are we in an age, some kind of new alchemical age, where we are either determined to or getting better at repurposing human waste? I think so. I think we've had a plenty of time to to get used to it, and I don't think it's ever going to go away. So, <laughs> hopefully, I think you not. could be right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is interesting though, because I mean, uh, I may be being very, very reductive here, um, but it does seem that for most of humankind, human waste was viewed as a net negative, and that now yeah. it's seen as largely, potentially, at least, net positive. Am I wrong on that, or too reductive? No, I think I think you're right. I mean. You look at you look at through history, and it's caused a lot of issues with its piling up in places we don't want it to pile up. Well, can I just be the devil's advocate here because I did look into the history of pee, since it is mm-hmm. something of a, of interest to me. And there uh-huh. have been a, a long list of practical uses for urine. So it was used to make leather because it softens the animal hide. Yeah, it's been a detergent, uh, made gunpowder. So pee definitely has had its moments. For sure, for sure. And, and it's available. We carry it around in our own little storage containers. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a useful to have uh, uses for it. Okay, so you're going to tell us about extracting energy from urine. Yeah, well, the technology is called microbial fuel cell. 
Is there a non-scientific name? Um, actually, one of our um, projects is called Eurentricity, yes. Ah, mm. there you go. It's so always lurking we've, we've just off stage. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. As you're describing this, can you tell us which components of human waste, I guess either liquid or solid, have the most energy potential? Um, to be honest, it's, it's, it's whatever the metabolism is designed to break down. Uh-huh. So the great thing about our system is that you can actually select the microbes, the right microbes to break down what it is you want broken down. So anything with organic matter um, can be used as a fuel. And, and depending on what that organic matter is or what the conditions are will result in the bacterial community that can break that down. I see. And historically, from a scientific standpoint, what have been the difficulties in either isolating the right components for the right bacteria or extracting them to turn it into energy? So well, in terms of the bacteria, there haven't been that many challenges. I mean, early on in the, in the technology's history, we were using bacteria such as E. coli to try and generate electricity. They needed a, a chemical ingredient added in. It's essentially, the bacteria have to transfer a bac- an electron from within their cell onto our electrode surface. Some bacteria need chemical help, but we've since found that there are organisms that actually can do this without any kind of interference from us. They, they, they grow, for example, nanowires, which can conduct these electrons onto the electrode surface. And selecting these organisms, simply you, you operate this microbial fuel cell, MFC, and just the act of operating at this selects the what we call electroactive organisms. So the ones that are able to donate these electrons to our purpose will survive and, and, and thrive in the system. I can see. You, can you give me a visual of what this looks like? Do, like? do you pee into a cup and a light bulb lights up? The urine itself can be fed fresh, warm, fresh from the body into the fuel cells. So potentially that is the case. Some of the um, advances we've made, we've, I don't know if you've heard over there of the Glastonbury Music Festival. It's one of the biggest in Europe. So we get, you know, the, the big bands. But the, the last three years we've had um, urinals at the festival where we have the festival goers peeing into the troughs and downstream from the, the kind of the exit point of this is the urine flows through our fuel cells. So, and then the, the, the output is enough to kind of power the lighting in the, in the vicinity of the toilet or other kind of small applications like um, charging mobile phones, that kind of thing. And is most of that energy coming just from the alcohol in the urine or is it from the urine itself? <laughs> it's, it's from the urine itself. We, we, did, we did wonder whether, you know, because obviously there's a lot of alcohol and, and maybe other things consumed at, at these festivals, whether this would have an impact on the way the bacteria are behaving, but they perform stably over time. Like I was saying, they do, they do adapt to their surroundings, so they, they may have turned into party bacteria. I don't know. <laughs> What is the future potential of this? Like, could there be a day when we are powered exclusively by urine? So cities are lit by urine? I don't think our cities will be lit by urine. I mean, the output is generally quite small. But in terms of how far we've come, when I first started nine years ago, we were measuring in microwatts. And then more recently, it's milliwatts. And now we're looking at watts. So certainly the fact that urine and wastewater is a fuel and needs to be treated anyway because our system cleans this, then certainly I can see this being part of life, whether that's a, a charging port in a, in a, in a toilet or, or part of the wastewater treatment, then certainly I, I believe we will see this in, in the future, yes. Do you think this model works better as a decentralized or centralized method? In other words, you collect the waste from, you know, a family's bathroom and use it to power things locally, or it's more the central wastewater collection or whatnot and used in a bigger facility? 
I think more of the, the former, so in, in maybe in isolated um, homes, that kind of thing. Certainly in, in, a, in the larger centralised, so in the wastewater treatment, we, I think they'll see microbial fuels as part of the process, but maybe more in terms of the, the wastewater treatment and, and powering a pump here or there, but certainly in individual homes and they can power something useful. And we're pushing out the technology to developing countries as well. So providing toilets, urinals in areas where they need sanitation, extra power and, and the facility to treat the waste as well. And I did say that the Gates Foundation gave you a grant, which I think is wonderful. Did Now, this would be, if I were head of the Gates Foundation, I would use this as a marketing and, and have Bill Gates pee into a cup and you have his yeah. urine powered like a your, PC or your, something. Or an iPhone. That would just be a nice irony, <laughs> yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Was there <laughs> yes. any of that? Well, if you could arrange that for us, that would be great. Um, uh, <laughs> Professor Winfield, where do these microbes come from? And uh, when you're introducing them into the system, and um, what are the perhaps potential downsides, you know, unanticipated or otherwise, that may result from introducing a bunch of microbes into some system, whether it's as small as a family's bathroom or as large as a wastewater treatment facility? Right, yeah. So the bacteria, they're, I mean, we, we call them electroactive. They're actually found all over the place. So you, you find them in marine sediment or just in the soil. Um, and we get our samples from uh, the local wastewater treatment plant who just deliver us um, bucketfuls of um, sludge now mm-hmm. and again. And the way we select these organisms is literally just by running this sludge through the fuel cells and then the, the right bacteria are selected for. And we've, we've run this in like workshops in schools as well. And the children just dig up a bit of mud from the playground, mix this with some nice liquid nutrients. And then within a few weeks, they're, they're powering little light bulbs just with the bacteria they found in their, their schools. So in terms of making sure we don't introduce alien organisms, when we're looking at kind of using the technology in other areas, remote areas, we can source the organisms from that area, knowing that the right kinds of bacteria can be found in, in any sample. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing there are dozens, if not hundreds, of projects like yours at universities and research centers uh, around the world. How is your approach different or maybe even better? Yeah, no, there, there certainly are. It's a popular area of research. Perhaps the thing that sets our center apart is our focus has always been on the practical implementation of the technology, so, so demonstrating that the technology can be used outside of the lab. And so to do this, we've had to focus on on finding cheaper materials because, I mean, back in the day when this first started, you, you were looking at tens of pounds or tens of dollars to make a single fuel cell. So, so we've kind of been trying to move away from that. We've found that I mean, working with ceramic as a, an alternative fuel cell, so we can now build these for less than a dollar a fuel cell. So I think that's one of the main kind of focuses. And, and you're right, Stephen. I just looked it up, and there are there's a whole area called bio-batteries, which is using human... Uh, bodily fluids to try to get uh, energy. The Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, they are working on a project to get blood. They use the electrolytes in blood to provide power. Uh, and uh, and tears, they actually have talked about this that. This is basically starting to sound a little bit like all we humans are is a fuel cell and that uh, if we could just boil us down into the most efficient parts, <laughs> we could power the other humans. Um, are, are you at all worried about some kind of uh, human exploitation along those lines? That personally hasn't crossed my mind yet, to be honest. <laughs> You're welcome. That's a dark thought. <laughs> Nicely done. Well, we have looked at kind of things like wearable uh, 
electronics. So we've one very brave student um, developed some urine-filled socks. So as you walked around, you pumped the urine around your socks, and this was able to send signals and produce power as well. So I don't know whether that will be that will be used in everyday life, but perhaps in uh, out, out in space or something like Have that. Have you tried those socks? I, you... I, 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 I chose not to. <laughs> you mentioned also that the microbes can not only extract or produce energy from wastewater, but purify at the same time. That's the part where I felt like it was maybe too good to be true. Can you talk about which microbes have the capacity to do both of those things? Yeah, sure. I mean, do you mean in terms of cleaning the Correct. wastewater? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, the, the actual act of producing electricity is a direct consequence of uh, cleaning the liquid. So, I see. so what's happening is, is the bacteria break down the organic matter in there. They release as a byproduct electrons. So the more they clean, the more power we get out. So you don't actually get one without the other. And which has more energy potential on an equal volume basis, urine or feces? Well, so far, the, the main kind of area of our work is focused on urine, um, just because logistically it's a lot easier to feed to a fuel cell that needs liquid and <laughs> liquid fuel. Yeah. Um, and less smelly. Yes, exactly. Feces um, is yeah, something we're, we're looking at. It would need to be in some way liquefied. So mm. there'd need to be a, so either, a, and that again, unfortunate student or a, a process <laughs> prior prior to feeding into the fuel cells. But basically, organic matter, the energy is in that thesis, so it certainly could be utilized in our in our system. Can I just say thank goodness for graduate students, right? What would you do without these? <laughs> exactly, uh... yes. You mentioned cost before. So what are some of the uh, challenges to implementing this technology? The materials were um, originally sourced from uh, or d- developed for chemical fuel cells, such as hydrogen fuel cells, mm. and they were developed to operate in, in conditions that certainly wouldn't be our bacteria would be happy in. So we've had to look at changing those materials and, and also the, the cost of these materials. So we were looking at uh, 10 to $15 per fuel cell. But we've kind of now focusing on other materials. I've been working personally with, with paper. So paper, you can construct the whole thing from paper. Um, and this brings the cost down to you know, less than a dollar per fuel cell. So mm. we've, we've kind of overcome that, that challenge. Another area is kind of how best you, you put the fuel cells together, how best you configure them for whether you want to, to treat the liquid or to get maximum power out. Um, and we've been looking at ways of doing that in terms of making the fuel cells smaller. So if you have lots and lots of small fuel cells compared to individual large ones, um, it improves the efficiency uh, manifold. Since both the inputs and the outputs here, the microbes and the, the waste, are omnipresent in nature, I'm curious whether this model was inspired by uh, natural processes, and even if not... Uh, what is a good, pure example of where this works very well in nature? In nature, you can have gradients appearing um, in the soil, for example, where you have your um, areas where there's no oxygen present. So I haven't mentioned that in the, the chamber where the bacteria live, the conditions need to be anaerobic, so without oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, so in nature, you'll find in gradients in soil where there's um, anoxic layers and then there's a- areas where there's more oxygen and you get different types of organisms forming, but also the different flow of ions, electrons, that kind of thing. So it does happen in nature. And, th- and in fact, this is where we find our organisms um, in, the, in this soil that uh, naturally occurs. Uh, and what, why is oxygen a no-no? So yeah, the so the, it, there are bacteria in the in the system who we call it facultative. So they they're able to either use 
oxygen or, or an alternative uh, in, as part of their respiration. They would ideally want to use oxygen to get rid of this electron. So if oxygen is present, they will use this and, and we won't see that electron going towards uh, or being utilised as part of our, our current. I see. But the lack of oxygen is just something, again, that naturally yeah. takes place in the system. So it's, it's quickly gone from, well, the, from the anode chamber. One thing that occurs to me, this you use microbes, bacteria in this and... This seems to be the era of microbes. I mean, they are hot, hot, hot. They are really having <laughs> yes. their moment. You've is got it, the microbiome. Is that scientific terminology? Yeah. <laughs> it is. Hot, hot, hot. On the Kelvin scale, uh, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you've got the microbiome everyone's talking about. Uh, I read an article about microbes that eat plastic and might be uh, in the future a potential solution to our, our horrible plastic problem. So some of these organisms that um, you've recently been discovered in terms of breaking down plastic, uh, they could be utilized in a, in a microbial fuel cell as well, potentially one day. It's certainly mm. an area for to, to investigate. So AJ, uh, Professor Jonathan Winfield from the University of the West of England has been telling us about these microbial fuel cells that uh, are driven, are, are powered by urine. Anything in his presentation that you feel needs to be flagged for factual purposes? I feel pretty confident. I mean, uh, what I love about uh, a good scientist is that they don't oversell it. They don't say this is going to uh, be the solution and we can stop drilling for oil <laughs> if everyone starts peeing. Uh, so I, I think, you know, with a caution that this is in the early stages, I think it's great and it's fascinating and, and seems to be true. Professor Jonathan Winfield, thanks so much for uh, joining us for Tell Me Something I Don't Know. It's great to speak with you. That's great. Thank you for having me. Be well. AJ, you've been along for quite a few pee and poo rides <laughs> before, haven't you? I'm a sucker for, you know, new science that will potentially change the world. And as you know, I'm a sucker for bathroom stories. Uh, so yeah. these combined, I, I felt it was good. The potential that it really could have uh, an impact on our energy crisis that's huge. And I like the idea of sort of a bodily fluids tax that everyone mm. has to pee, you know, part of their pee, maybe 50%. Now, well, do you think there might be a point, though, at which, you know, if my urine is more valuable to you than to me, then I start to drive up the price. Oh, and that's hoard. interesting. That's interesting. Mm. And yeah, then just wait till be. the... The poop hoarding starts to happen, and that's not a pretty picture. No, that is that is certainly not. I, too, like you, love the idea that he presented his idea with qualifications. I love when people come tell us about their own work because they're invested in it and they, they know a lot about it. I also, there's something about the very uh, localized nature of this circuit, which is that, you know, let's say you're not trying to power a city, you're just trying to power part of your house, but like in the bathrooms, that's where this happens. And the fact that it, the capture and the generation of electricity and the use of electricity all happening in the same place, it just feels more viable um, than a lot of these more pie-in-the-sky-ish proposals that we hear about. And, you know, the one thing I would quarrel with you on is I don't know about the energy crisis. I mean, I think we're actually, we're pretty good at making energy and it's getting cleaner. What do you feel is the most crisis-y part? I would say the end of the world part where... Oh, how, the world is ending, you mean because global warming, because right. of greenhouse gases? Exactly. Yeah, that, I think, that's but I think there a are a lot problem. of things that are moving in a really good direction. I mean... Slowly, but yeah, I mean, we still use an incredible number of fossil fuels, so... Yeah, I would although say interestingly in that case, like much less for 
for electricity than we used to. That's almost all transportation. But that's also moving so, so, so fast to electric. I hope so. I mean, I I think any big change like this in history, when you're in the middle of it, it feels slow. Right. But I think in terms of, like, history... Well, I love your positivity. I am going to stop recycling right now. Nice to talk to you, AJ. Good to talk to you.